2: This time, um, well, this time, Kyle and I were on a different podcast. We, we, we went to, uh, to our buddy Daniel Tordin's podcast and did an interesting conversation, originally aired June 19th on the Onion Unlimited podcast. Daniel's become a good buddy of ours, um, hailing all the way from the UK. Uh, so he's got a great uh, great English accent uh, for you all to enjoy um, This uh, pub- was published as two separate conversations on the Onion Unlimited podcast um, w- One bit a little bit focused on sex and morality, which we've talked about a bit lately And another kind of back to the hippy-dippy uh, But we've got this whole thing um, pieced together for you And we're just going to republish it on the Two Tongues podcast for our audience if you like what you hear, check out Daniel Tordin's Onion Unlimited podcast. It is worth uh worth checking out. Um without further ado. Here we go.
3: How have you both been?
4: Pretty good. Not I can't complain. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh-huh. Hey, Daniel, hey man. I wanted to say f- first and foremost, thanks for inviting us on the Onion Unlimited podcast. Happy to happy to be on the other side of this conversation and also Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to tell you happy Father's Day
3: yeah both of you guys thank you (laughs) you guys as well thank you for that yeah Yeah. um yeah i'm quite um quite excited actually about doing this it's the first um podcast i've ever done where i've had somebody somebody else come on it so usually i just uh i just sit here on my own
2: (laughs) (laughs) no no that's perfectly fine i uh um, it's a learning experience for sure. Um, mm. and we've got, you know, a tiny bit of, de- of a delay, but the, with the zoom, it's not too bad.
3: No. Um,
2: That's good. so I wanted to tell you, Daniel, when I do my solo podcast, the ones I do normally uh-huh. on, on Wednesdays, I have a, um, an intro and an outro that I will write and then I'll read it. And it sounds a little bit more polished and it flows a little bit better. Um, Yes, it's much more like your ordinary podcasts, uh, which you know yeah. I can tell you put time into, and they flow exactly how you want them to flow, and all that. But you know, this is yeah. the this is the wild west. This is a live conversation.
3: I like I like this. I think this is good. Good. It's, um, it's uh, by the seat of your pants, isn't it?
2: <laughs> Indeed. So, what's new in your world, Daniels? Uh, yeah. Since the last time we talked,
3: what's new? Um, what's new? What's new? Um, I started a, um, court case, uh, to hopefully get some, uh, contact with my youngest daughter. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just waiting on a, um, a date for that at the moment. Okay. Um, apart from that, not a lot really. I've been doing a bit of music, um, finished my latest, uh, album almost,
1: mm.
2: um, K- uh, do you do you mind yeah. if I do you mind if I ask you about that, Daniel? Because um, I, I was just tell- mm. I was just telling Kyle before this conversation started that uh, you know you put those soundscapes on Twitter, and every now and then I'll see those you know those interesting images that you'll throw up there with the with the music that you do, and obviously yeah. the, obviously the music at the beginning and end of your podcast, I, I think those those are toward and originals, are um. they are they not?
3: They're not mine. Oh. The, uh, the intro and the ending are somebody else's. Okay, um, but sometimes if you listen in the background on the podcast, there's some of my music playing. Uh, I see. Nice. So I, I use it as background music, but no, the uh, intro and exit on uh, the podcast is a is a bought-in one. That
2: gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I had to do that myself. With ours, we uh, we outsource that, uh, yeah. that uh, sitar music that you hear at the beginning of the Two that's Tongues it. podcast.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've got all kinds of stuff that I want to talk to you guys about today, if that's okay. Oh, goody. Um, yes. I'll give you a little bit of an idea of what I'm thinking, and then we can just uh, pile into it. Mm-hmm. So I've been listening to your... Uh, podcast episode thirty one. Okay. Entitled Okay Kuma. Kuma? <laughs>
5: that one. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> that one. The one that you can't the one that you can't let your mum listen to. Yeah exactly. The, the one that
4: I'm the one that I'm blushing about right now. <laughs> I, I forgot to tell my mom not to listen to that one by the way, so she yeah. did.
3: Yeah, I'll put an I'll put an explicit on this uh, podcast. <laughs> um that's a new word to me. Uh, I don't know I, I don't know if that's just because I've lived a sheltered life or not but um <laughs> it's just... I looked it up apparently it's a man um but I would imagine this applies to women as well it's a man who masturbates excessively <laughs> yeah but he's too much pornography that's pretty much
2: it yep so I think that's every man from the age of 13 to <laughs> 20 to 20 something for
4: sure if not much yeah. later
2: uh hey daniel don't... My question My
3: question is, um, how much is too much, and (laughs) and what is excessive? (laughs) Mm. That's a good question. Um, Mm. I think when it
4: becomes detrimental to you, um, then that's probably a good place to put that line. Um, Now, I think that that line may be different for different people, um, but, yeah, I think that that's that's a good place to start. I am – anymore, I am becoming – like, I don't look down on people who watch porn or, you know, mm-hmm. but I do think that maybe I'm to the point where I think watching it at all is probably not good for you. Um, I mean, you can look yep. into it. There are scientific studies that, that will tell you that it has negative effects on your brain. It makes you depressed. It makes you lose focus. Uh, it actually shrinks the size of your brain if you watch a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That that's where I am, but yeah, I think for most people, a good place to start is when it becomes detrimental to you in some way, shape, or form.
3: Yeah, either mentally, physically, or um, it could be could be emotionally sure. affecting um, relationships. Yeah, I,
4: and I've got experience with all of that stuff. So um, yeah, yep, yeah, this has been
2: a real a real life experiment for Kyle um, you know, tra- taking this seriously because it's something that you would. You would write off. There's a lot of things that you write off, um, and you you laugh off because secretly you don't want to stop. You know what I mean. So a lot of the pleasures, mm-hmm. a lot of the just the distracting pleasures, food pleasure, and, and masturbation, and all those sorts of things, it, even if they are a problem, pe- people have a tendency to pretend as though they're they aren't. Yeah, because we don't want to stop. It's fine. We don't I want to. It's, it's fine. fine. Yeah, exactly. But the truth is, there there are consequences and you don't know what they are until you do what Kyle's done until you experiment with it you cut you cut it off or or whatever and see what happens
4: don't cut it off that's a bad idea I no, don't cut it off no <laughs>
3: I'll just think we're talking about yeah
4: <laughs> so oh, I, I
2: can admit, I'll admit to something here um, and I, I sort of did this on the okay Kumar episode that i I always thought about it as as maintenance and what I mean by that is what's well, it's like a shit shower and shave situation. You, you know, you wake, mm-hmm. up, you wake up in the morning and there's certain things that you do. You know, if you're healthy, maybe you do sit-ups. If you're me, maybe you jerk off in the shower. <laughs> you know, you have, a, you, have a light, you have a light breakfast. You know, you brush your teeth. Um, it, so I always thought about it as maintenance as just something that I was always doing, you know, on a pretty consistent basis to just maintain some kind of stasis in the way I feel. Mm-hmm.
4: Yep. And
2: I thought that I was r- rationalizing using that. And maybe I still mm-hmm. maybe I still am, but I'm I'm going back and forth on that, and I'll tell you I'll tell you why. And and I don't think my wife has is any danger of listening to this episode, but I'll just tell you, as a married man, um, and Daniel can attest to this, I'm sure, that there are times where um, the frequency of sex is not is not coming at you as, as much as maybe you mm-hmm. would like, and sometimes it's on her side, and sometimes it's on your side, or whatever. But I'm not I'm saying the blame go, there's enough blame to go around. But there are times where I'm, fr- I'll be frustrated sexually, sure. and I can solve yep. that problem even temporarily by just, you know, <laughs> just rub- rubbing one out. So, yep. so the I'm struggling with that now because uh, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, So I, I, man, I don't know how much to just blurt out here on the internet. It's personal. It's personal. personal But I I guess what I'll say is that I've been doing the experiment myself. I've been running the experiment myself. And I find that um, I started to get more aggressive and less able to control my um, emotions. You know what I mean? That's what I'm noticing.
4: Less able to control your emotions? Yeah, like like more prone to getting angry and flying off the handle? Yes. Okay. Yes. Interesting.
2: I, I was talking to my my mom the other day, and I said something to her that uh, see, I don't I don't know how much detail to jump sure. into, but I said something to her that upset her, and I felt really bad about that. And I couldn't resolve it on the phone call, so we hung up, and I felt terrible, like guilt. Just you know, what I mean, I had to call her back after a few minutes and apologize and make things right because guilt just messes with me like nobody's business.
4: So you said the thing that you said out of frustration?
2: No but i I didn't approach it in the best of ways, and then I realized that uh i I just wondered if I wasn't frustrated if I would have acted the same way mm. that's what I mean
3: uh-huh.
2: might might that maintenance idea actually have benefited me if if I just would have done it and not and not have carried that extra energy around with me all day I don't know mm. what what do you think Daniel
3: That's an interesting one um so I've been, um, in, in the past, I've been quite involved in uh, medical things. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be a first aid trainer, work as a uh, first responder. Um, so I spent quite a lot of time kind of um, looking up about the human body, anatomy, the way that things work and so on. Um I don't know how it is out there, but when you talk to doctors or nurses or anyone kind of in the medical profession here, um, not not so much pornography. I think take that as a secondary, um, a secondary um, thing to discuss. Mm-hmm. But certainly, masturbation um, for a guy, at least, is medically considered healthy. Mm-hmm. Um apparently um it reduces cancer or the risk of cancer.
4: Prostate cancer yeah. specifically, if I understand mm. correctly.
3: Um and it's uh, something to do with the kind of uh, turnaround of um your semen mm. effectively. If <laughs> basically if it doesn't if if you don't use it, it kinda <laughs> causes problems. Yeah, sure. Um which kind of I mean that makes that makes uh, I think biological sense mm-hmm. There's some biological sense there mm-hmm. um, so in terms of perhaps physical maintenance um, uh, certainly sexual activity uh, physically has is, is healthy isn't it it burns calories um, keeps you working properly
2: right yep endorphins and
3: but brain all that yes endorphins in the brain and so on um, again I, w- I would probably say with masturbation I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily inherently unhealthy mm-hmm. um, I, but I also think when you abstain from it 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 has some really positive effects. And I'm not thinking so much mentally or emotionally um, or even physically here. I'm thinking spiritually. Mm. And I know that's a little bit of a tangent here, but I honestly do think that uh, masturbation, and especially if you introduce pornography into the mix, is... Detrimental spiritually speaking.
2: See, I would. That's yeah, I would.
3: Not necessarily the same as you guys think. I don't know. What do you think on that?
2: So I have a couple thoughts. I mean, I do think that mm. there's two things that come to mind. One of them has to do with like a a source of energy you know and mm-hmm. i and, and you know yes. a, any guy knows mm-hmm. if you have a i'm just going to use the since i'm talking to an english fellow i'm just going to use the british when you have a wank when you, when you have a wank that's funnier on this side of the on this side of the uh, pond um uh, you That'll know
3: you, be the title of this episode. <laughs> we have a wank.
2: Uh, yeah so but you know but you know that when you, when you do um you know it after after you have an orgasm you feel relaxed you feel lethargic Mm -hmm. a little bit you feel at peace without without the need to do anything it takes away some kind of vital energy and if you don't
3: you certainly couldn't go to war after doing that (laughs)
2: 100 percent. no way no way you're not going to war after that um so I i think that there's something to that the idea that if you abstain from it that you that you maybe open up a reservoir of some kind of uh-huh. energy, psychic, mm-hmm. spiritual energy that can be that can be used. Um, I think yes. that's probably true. Another thing that comes to mind is the, well, you you might call it spiritual warfare, but what I mean to say is you have a struggle within yourself where you want to do it because it feels good and it's a habit, and you have that ingrained mm-hmm. in your in your mind. And when you tell yourself no, and you Listen and you obey yourself. You get this feeling of um, mastery over yourself. You get this mm. feeling of, ah, uh, yes. and that there's something spiritual about that. So
3: that yes, you can control yourself.
2: Yes. Yeah. Mm. That's where my mind goes, Daniel.
4: Yeah, I think that um, not again, like you said, pornography aside, just masturbation and orgasm. I think that it has kind of a blunting effect in a lot of ways, not just. Um, you know, uh, mentally, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I am maybe like a little bit slower mentally after it, you mm-hmm. know, like uh, just kind mm-hmm. of lethargic and um, that's not even to say physically tired, which is true. You know, you are physically tired a lot of the times afterwards. Uh, but yeah, I think it ha- does have all kinds of blunting effects. Uh, so something to consider. And I,
3: I wouldn't say that that effect. um the same when you actually have actual sexual intercourse Agreed. with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, especially um, if that intercourse is in the kind of frame of uh, lovemaking. Yeah. It's a slow, um, gentle process of connection and communication and so forth. That's a really just good talking point. About a quick bang. Yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with that. Um, now but but the question yeah, that but,
3: can actually be invigorating I think spiritually.
2: So w- why why do you think there's a difference there though? Daniel what would you point to?
3: I've been thinking about this uh this last week actually and I've been talking about it with my girlfriend as well and we both came to the same conclusion that um lovemaking and I'm not talking about sex now I'm talking about the actual act of lovemaking. Mm-hmm. Is divine. Um, I'll explain what I mean by that in yes. a minute. But having sex, just the act of having sex, is very much something that all animals do. Um, when you look at, <laughs> if you look at an animal having a hump <laughs> with another animal, yeah. you, you don't see them um, engaging in foreplay. Mm-hmm. or uh, after they've done the deed talking about the wonders of the universe. Right, yeah. right.
4: So generally no cuddling uh, yeah, going on.
3: It's more a case of it's like an itch that they have to scratch. Yes. Um, it's instinct and it goes a long way to um, keeping the, uh, the species alive.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, I don't, I don't think that sex, when it comes to humans... This is just my personal view and I'm not judging anyone else that does sleep around or whatever but I don't think that sex should be reduced to itching a scratch.
4: 100% agree with you on that.
3: I really really don't. I think it's I think it's something that should be saved um for the special person in your life.
2: Yep. So Daniel, I don't want to interrupt right. you. I don't want to interrupt you, but I, would, I do want to in, insert no, please, here. Go. I have this weird. I don't know if this is true. I'll tell you what. I, what I mean to say, I think that the divorce of the sacred component to the sex act is mm-hmm. is worse in the United Kingdom than in the United States. I, oh, I, th- I agree. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. good. I I do. Going to have yeah, to explain the way this to me.
3: Are over over here. Um, it is there is a culture of just going out on an evening to a club or a pub and picking someone up for the night right so here though yeah
4: mm-hmm. I, I i i'm i've never heard this before that's why i'm very curious well, because i th- as far as i'm aware that exists here too what well, does it does but it just seems like So I have I like to watch some British TV. And so I'm
2: basically pulling this I'm pulling my impression of what it's like in the UK off of a couple (laughs) of shows from the office. But maybe some of that, too. But well, you know, even the difference that's you know what, that's a fair enough point. Even the difference between the British office and the American office, the 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 dynamic between Pam and Jim and Tim and Don. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah. in the british office it's it's way more like the, there's way more build up in the american version there's way more taboos surrounding how quickly you can jump into something oh, like that okay. even even e- you know what i mean even on a one one night stand sort of basis in the u k it just seems like that's less tabooed it's more i don't know man maybe i 'm out of line but that 's just how it
3: seems huh can i can i put something out there mm-hmm. um it seems to me that america Still has a good fair share of their, um, for want of a better term, fundamental Christians.
2: Correct. And and to be we honest, Daniel, I, I was. We su- don't
3: tend to have that
2: here. That see, I was surprised to hear you tell me that you were a Jehovah's Witness for three generations. Because I, mm. because I tend to imagine fundamentalist Christianity to be largely a United States phenomenon. I, I I it's I honestly was surprised to hear that there was three generations worth of Jehovah's Witnesses in the UK, like that 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 was even a thing. I I feel. And again, this is mostly from television and the the you know the uh, the uh, impressions that you get. But I it mm. seems to me that the UK is a more secular culture. That Europe, by and large, yeah, is a more sure. is a more secular culture than the United yeah. States. And we have a holdout from our Protestant um, past, from our um, from our pilgrim past, for lack of, you know for lack of a better word, that stays with us to this day, where where the taboos surrounding sex and infidelity and um, and sex before marriage and all those sorts of things, it just seems like
4: yes. it 's taken more seriously here than it is in europe.
3: I think I totally agree
4: I think that they are i guess so one of the things that I really try to get into in this podcast and it 's just something that i 'm very interested in in general is cultural trends um and mm. I think that maybe. It's not that I disagree with you guys, because I definitely see what you're saying, but I do think that they're trying to kill that in America. They're trying to snuff that out. They oh, want, yes. They want. you know, they would prefer that America be more like Europe in that, uh, when I say they, you know, the people who control culture. That's how I feel you know, anyways. Well, so Daniel, what, I- we,
3: what we tend to, what we tend to have here, there are still religious people, Church of England, you know, there's. Catholics around mm-hmm. and I used to meet these people when I called from door to door as a Jehovah's witness in the past um, I started to meet quite a few people that were were more non-denominational Christians, they would just say well I'm, I'm Christian mm-hmm. but I don't really follow anything mm-hmm. um, and that tended tends to be I'm not saying that's a blanket across everything, there are you know, really, really strong um, uh, Christians with really strong views of what's moral and immoral. Mm
1: -hmm. But
3: generally speaking, even the religious people in the UK don't really get that kind of um, upset about things like homosexuality, Mm -hmm. abortion, um, (laughs) pornography, so they, they, they just tend, everything just sort of like, well, it is what it is, you know?
2: Now, do you, uh, do you,
3: Whereas I, I think in America, there's even kind of whole areas, aren't there, where if you were to walk in there and say, I'm a homosexual, you might be lucky to make it out alive.
4: I, I think that that's a lot less, uh, you know, is it? the, the South, you know, the South in America is kind of that area uh, traditionally. Right. Uh, But, yeah, in 2022, I'm sure... I I know 100% there are definitely still people who are completely anti-homosexuality. And if you Mm. come out, like, publicly, they're not going to be particularly friendly towards that. But I think in general in America, the trend is definitely more towards the accepting... um,
3: It's heading that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: So, so Daniel, can I ask you, the thing that you were saying Mm.
2: about... Like your your rank and file non denominational religious person in the UK, who who yeah. would wouldn't um, wouldn't take any sort of p- political stand against uh, homosexuality or or you know something that you might think a conservative person would. Do you think that that is related to the? Um, there's basically two things. The in the the culture in Europe is more liberal, and I think that's what that's what Kyle is referring to. It, in in general, it's more liberal in a in a tra- traditional sense. You know, pe- people mind their business. Pe- it's live and let live uh, to, to a certain degree, and it, British people seem to be like that. Uh, uh, you know, it's like they mind your business. You know, it's like uh, you know mind your business. Yeah. So is it that? Is it the mind your business stuff that that, that well, keeps I, I think
3: that's partly it. Um... Religion and politics are the two subjects that Brits don't generally talk about. (laughs)
2: This is the wrong podcast for you then, Daniel.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Normally, because if if you get started talking about religion or politics, you'll find that someone's got quite a strong opinion. And Brits, in general, don't like um, kind of confrontation. Mm, Yes. They'd much rather just kind of, you know, have a cup of tea together and... (laughs) you know, just see what we can agree on.
5: Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, I think that's partly it. And I also think the other side of it is the religious side these days is more of a... uh, just something they do for weddings and funerals. Mm. You know, they go to church for weddings and funerals. Um, Mm -hmm. They'll celebrate Christmas, birthdays, Easter, that sort of thing. But there's not really a lot of religion behind it mm. these days um you know the the kind of uh, born again christian movement pentecostals and that sort of thing mm. is more the exception than the norm most people are either atheist or they just say oh i'm church of england you know
2: default. Yeah. right right hey, hey daniel I, um I, I, we were we were starting to talk about Making love in terms of it being a sacred act, and I feel like we're not going to do justice if we skip over that. Let's Can we circle back to that one? Okay.
3: Let's come back to that. Let's come back to that. See if I can find what I
2: was But while while you're doing that, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I had in my back pocket when you brought that up. Yeah, throw that in. Yeah, when you you brought that up. What
3: I'll do is all these these bits, I'll kind of edit them together when we're done. So don't worry if it sort of jumps around.
2: uh, Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. So so I've been reading a lot of uh, Carl Jung and his students Mm -hmm. lately, and I've been talking about it on the podcast. And one of the things that comes up is a lot of these myths, a lot of these classical myths. And um, there's two that come to my mind that have to do with sacred sexuality. The first one is um a creation myth from, from ancient Babylon. It's the earliest creation story, the earliest myth that we have evidence of. It's called the Enuma Elish. And in that myth, the god that in the beginning is well, it's like this primordial egg, uh for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. It's it's a, a combination of two deities that are together, Tiamat. And uh, Apsu and Tiamat is the goddess of the salt water, and Apsu is the god god of the fresh water. And they're one thing in the beginning; they're one thing. They're 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 opposites, right? Because one is female, one is male, one is salt water, one is fresh water. So they're these symbols of opposites, but they're united. They're opposites united, and their that symbol is called the Ouroboros. And and what happens is. The gods are together, they're, they're unified into one, and so you have the masculine principle and the feminine principle together. And so what, the image you should get in your head when it, with a man and a woman together is something like sex. And so what happens when you join a man and a woman is a generative act. You have creation, right? And that's what happens in the myth, the creation of the cosmos. So you bring these, these two, the god and the goddess are one thing, they're in union, and their union gives birth to the cosmos. So in that myth, the earliest myth we have, the creation of the universe is the result of divine sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you have the same story that the ancient Greeks tell about the first man and woman, their, their Adam and Eve story. And they, yeah. their Adam and Eve story is about hermaphrodite. It's about a being, a perfect being that has created both man and, and woman together. And the first human beings mm. like that, a man and a woman together together. And then they get separated, and then they feel a longing for one another for the rest of their lives that they can only feel by rejoining together, and that's what marriage and sex is all about. It's perfection, yeah. bringing the opposites together and having this creative act, which is a mirror of the act of creation itself. So such a beautiful, such a beautiful thing.
3: Yeah, you see, that is beautiful. Um you know the um adam and eve story in he- in the hebrew text
1: mm-hmm.
3: in uh, genesis the i mean the story goes that god put adam to sleep and performed an operation on him so he <laughs> yeah. took one of his ribs and turned it into a into a woman mm. and then brought the woman to the man and the man says at last this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh mm. um that expression, bone of my bones, in the Hebrew text, literally means self of myself. I love it. Ooh. So uh, <laughs> this is self of myself. Um, it can also mean this is myself beside myself. I love it. And it's where we get that expression being beside yourself. <laughs> you know, when you're feeling joyful, you're beside yourself.
5: Wow, um, that's
3: that's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's really yes. good. Yeah, yeah I it's... do think it's I do think it's um, divine. I've got a question for you on this. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were were you originally both religious? Did did you belong to like a Christian religion? Both of you?
4: Yeah, I definitely was. Uh, well, I mean, Chris definitely was too. But my family was. Like, deep in it. Um, You know, I I went to church every Sunday, church every Wednesday, church Sunday nights a lot of the time. I went to Christian schools for, you know, Christian, like, actual education schools for a good part of my young life. Um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I used to do, like, Bible quizzing, and, yeah, I was deep into it. The reason
3: I ask that is, um, obviously, I, I was raised very strict as well, religiously. And up until recently, I had a very simple way of knowing whether something was right or wrong. And that was if God said it was wrong, either in the Bible or if the organization I belonged to said that God said it was wrong, Mm -hmm. then that was it. It was wrong. It didn't matter whether it was pleasurable it was wrong. I couldn't do it. And if I did it, I'd feel guilty because I'm making God unhappy. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering with your kind of religious backgrounds, when you take things like, um, pornography, masturbation, was that something that was presented to you as being morally wrong?
4: Um, for me personally, it was definitely presented as something that was bad um not necessarily Why? It, it, well the not necessarily in a religious context though um i mean i think that it definitely was presented to me as something that was bad in a religious context but most of my like young influence when it comes to pornography and things like that has more to do with um like i would get caught having porn or something and then I would be made to feel like a dirty little pervert, basically. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. I mean, my the the shame that I have when it comes to that sort of thing has less to do with the religious influence in my life and more to do with like, you know, ba- basically my mom getting pissed off that my dad was watching porn, or and you know, and then I would get caught with it, and then I'm a, you know I'm a dirty little boy. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Just like your old man. <laughs> exactly. Um. But. And on what basis,
3: on what basis, um, was it presented as wrong? I'm interested in this idea that certain things are good or bad. There sure. seems to be, you know, masturbation is, you know, from a, from a religious point of view, people will say masturbation is bad. Why? Why is
4: it bad? I remember being told, you know, basically things, especially with like sex, not ne- I, mm-hmm. not necessarily masturbation, but I kind of in a way as well, and I'll get to that. But basically, with sex, is you want to save yourself for marriage, which uh-huh. oddly enough yep. is something that I kind of agree with now. I mean, you yep, know, so in like I. in it's weird all the turns that my you know, philosophical and religious opinions have taken. They've taken a, a, a lot of them. They sure have. Um, but, so as far as masturbation and porn and stuff like that goes, uh, some of it is just like purity, you know, like purity of mind and heart and soul and stuff like that. Um, and, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, the religious tradition that I come from, I think that a lot of people say things and enforce rules and maxims that they don't even really understand why they're doing it it's just you know someone told me this so i'm telling you this and this is just how we do it yeah um so i think that's a big part of it um yeah that that's basically it
3: but it makes sense that anything that becomes addictive
4: Mm.
1: and that
3: is ruining your day is bad or anything that is upsetting someone that's close to you is Mm -hmm. bad you know for want of a better word um but is it necessarily immoral you see this this idea of pornography is pornography immoral what's your thoughts Mm. on that Chris Mm.
2: oh boy well listen I'm the father of two girls now and uh oh god that's a difficult question for me um Listen, so when Kyle and I were talking about this uh, on the OK Coomer episode of the Two Tongues podcast, what we what we I think agreed on and I. We're all very sheepish and about this, and to, to say it out loud is is hard. But what what we agreed on is that there are certain habits that you form when you watch pornography, and like to your point, because it is addictive, because it is releasing serotonin in your brain, and you do want to chase that dragon just like you would if you were smoking crack or anything else, uh, or eating a delicious Krispy Kreme donut, you know, eat any of those things. You want to recreate those those uh, good feeling events. And what happens is, you get, you you have to continue upping the ante, right? So what happens is you're masturbating, you're watching porn. Now we're talking explicitly about porn, and you get bored of the most beautiful women and the most you know um, titillating you know uh, um, situations imaginable. Anything, anything your heart desires, the menu is open for you. And what happens is mm-hmm. you you know you get bored halfway through and you lose your erection. And listen, man, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but there's no there's no surprise that in the US everybody is obese, everybody is unhealthy. It's a, it's a terrible epidemic here. And you've got twenty three year old kids, twenty five year old kids going to the doctor saying, "I need a blue pill. I can't get my dick hard." Mm. This, this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that is commonplace, and it has never, ever been before. Now, some of that might be attributable to the lifestyle, uh, but but I think a bigger part of that is porn. A, a, the biggest part of that is no longer being able to be titillated yeah. by, the, by the most uh, outrageous, outrageous of things any, yeah. anymore, because you're accustomed to it, and then you try to translate your sexual habits that you're practicing way more in the shower than you are than you are in your bedroom, mm-hmm. and you and yeah. you and you go to have sex with your wife or your girlfriend or what have you, and you're finding right. yourself you're finding yourself bored in the middle of the video, yeah. and your and your dick goes down, and then you've disappointed everyone, and you're putting all this pressure on yourself, and you think you have a like a health problem. No sir, you have a porn problem. Yeah. You know. So
3: and, are you going from see when when you first mentioned you know the the kind of physical effects that watching porn maybe has on somebody that in itself isn't about morality is it no
1: no you know,
3: take taking crack at the end of the day is not especially a morality question it's a question of whether it's good for you or not I and get, it's not so I don't know can do it what well, hold on is there a- but when does it become when did it become immoral?
2: Well, I think that's the, that's the heart of the question. That's the heart of the question, because what you said earlier was that your your go to, like the easiest solution for you in terms of what was moral in your past, was what the Bible said or what the elders said. Then you you mm-hmm. didn't you didn't have to think about it, right? Because the answer was already there for you. So right. they removed your your necessity to think for yourself, which we've talked about before with the with the witnesses. Um, The question is, if something that's good for you or bad for you, is that the same thing as moral or immoral? Because maybe it
3: is. Mm, I don't know. Because, you know, take cake, for example. Yep. I really like cake. (laughs) Same. Yeah? Yeah. Cake is good. (laughs) But cake is bad. Yes. 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 Go ahead. Which is it? You know, is, is, is cake good or bad well, for think you? Think of it this is way. Is good or bad for you?
4: If you have a family, okay, you have a family that depends on you. You've got you know, a mother and father who love right. you, a wife who loves you, children who are dependent uh-huh. on you, and you are eating cake until you have diabetes and you die when you're 45. Right. Is that moral? Was it moral of you to right. to chase exactly. that pleasure?
3: Good, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah I don't think... Brilliant. I don't so, th- you're actually thinking, what effect is this now having? Not just on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I can abuse my body as much as I want, and that's not necessarily immoral. See, I do but think it is, though. Like, I, think, start, I, I think if it affects somebody else, it is.
4: I think that putting other people in the picture makes it clear. It's like, oh, yeah, that's not good, you know? But I think that even if you take it out, I think that you do have some kind of mm. responsibility to yourself to be good to yourself to take care of yourself um and i don't think see i I come from uh like a political tradition where it's like you should let people do whatever they want as long as they're not hurting anyone else and i am kind of i'm kind of like coming out of that a little bit because i do think that you Mm. do have some kind of responsibility to yourself uh i do think that if you are hurting yourself it's bad you shouldn't be doing that
3: I love that because if you're hurting yourself, if you're abusing yourself, you are actually, if if you take this idea that we're all one Mm. and that we're all interconnected in some way, you are actually hurting others at the same time, aren't you? Yes. How can you, was it Jesus, wasn't it, that said, you know, you must love others as you love yourself? Yes. Yes. How can you love other people if you abuse yourself?
4: It's a great question.
2: I like that. Mm. Uh, you know what? I also think. Um, I think that the persp- that the perspective is important. Um, I think that th- it's different when we say good or bad, or if we say good or evil. I think that we're talking slightly different uh, differently w- mm-hmm. when we do that. But I kind of think that everything is everything is both. You know, when the cake example is is a good one. E- everything is both good and evil, and it it, it all has to do with perspective. Um, and this is related to that conversation that we, that we had, Daniel, way back when, I think maybe our first conversation, about trying to understand God as being all good, like most religious people, especially mm-hmm. Christians, try to do. If you say God is all good, you're missing half the picture. No, no, no. God is everything, yep. all good and all evil. And, it, and, and it's, that is abrasive, even just hear that. But you have to understand that that's the, that that's the truth, or you're never going to get anywhere in, a, in an understanding of God. Yeah. And you have that same thing reflected in in what we call good and evil. Every every event, every action is both. You know. Sure. So I, I, I think it's I think it's more Incompl- com- I think it's more complicated. You know, I think it's more. Com- I don't know that there's a cookie cutter answer to that question. What is good or evil? Because people want to get relativistic. They want to yeah. say, what's good for me or what's evil for me? Yeah. You know?
3: What's good for me is not necessarily good for my neighbor. Right, right. <laughs> Could be the worst thing going. Sure. Yeah, that's, that, I, I like that. Can I just dig into um, talking about God? You, you know, I tend to. Avoid the use of the word God these days. Mm. Um, I think to coin one of your phrases, Chris, I've got a sophisticated idea of God now.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs)
3: Um, I don't think of God so much as a personage um, who thinks thoughts like us and is sitting in judgment on a throne as to what we do. You know, this is right, that's wrong. Porn's right, uh, porn's wrong, homosexuality's wrong, you know, bad, Mm. bad, bad. Mm. Um, demanding worship um, I tend to see that kind of scenario as very much a, a kind of religious uh, package that is it, just trying to sort of get us to see that you know we're all fallen from grace and we need saving and this particular religion is the one that will will do it for you That that's kind of how I see God
1: mm-hmm. um,
3: I get this idea that to God um everything just is at the same time. So in terms of all the probabilities that are possible, God or source is just aware of everything in one go, Mm -hmm. including good things and including bad things. But he or it doesn't necessarily make choices. That's down to us to do. What's your What's your thoughts on that, or do you think that you know that God or Source is the same as us, just doing good or bad things?
2: That's That's interesting. So I guess where I where I go here, uh, you, you may have heard me say this before. I said I say it a lot of time on the podcast. I'll I'll say we are the experience that God is having, and yeah. what what I mean by that uh, in this context is that you're right that that. God, if with a capital G, you know, however we want to understand that doesn't make decisions. We do. What I would say is, mm-hmm. the decisions we make are the decisions of God. We are we are we are the instrument of action. So our decisions are God decision God's decisions. And what makes that so complicated and frustrating is that. We're all making different decisions. We're all rationalizing things differently, analyzing things different differently. We're all thinking differently, and so what we have is this infinite diversity of thought and opinion, and that is the thought and opinion of God—an infinite diversity, right? It's it's all thought and all opinion all at once. So I I, hmm. I, I see us as as the instrument of action. Um, we're 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 the manifestation of God. We're the embodiment of God, acting in the world, and all of our actions are the actions of God, both good and evil.
3: Yes, <laughs> a, I agree. Okay,
2: you know it's it's funny because so, so few people would just That's would profound, hear.
3: Would, but I, I totally agree with that.
2: Mm. And again, very what about you, Kyle. F- Go ahead. Yeah.
4: Um. Yeah, I I don't. I mean. I think that you and Chris have more um confidence in these types of things. I mean, I definitely I'm more or less on the same page with you, uh but I think that you and Chris, uh, particularly Chris, I know for a fact is more um you know, bought into this these types of ideas. I'm a little bit more I guess skeptical, but that's just my nature. That's my nature about pretty much everything. Is I'm I'm a skeptical person. Um,
3: Do you but, say you still um, hold on to more of the traditional ideas of God and morality as it was presented to you as a Christian?
4: It's weird because so you put
3: religion aside
4: for a long time. Um, I think that I disregarded that stuff way more than Chris did. Uh I I considered myself an atheist, you know, I was, you know, okay. kind of like a morally relativistic kind of a person. Um mm-hmm. but in the past few years I have kind of given that up. Um, you know, I do not consider myself an atheist anymore. I think it's pretty evident that there is a god. You know, the, again, I, I I I'm more comfortable using the word god than I have been in a long time. But I do understand mm. how people get hung up on it, how it like, uh, it trips some people up. Um, but, uh, let's just say that I'm m- pretty confident that there is something, you know, w- whether you want to yeah. say God or, you know, some kind of force or energy or whatever you want to say, I'm happy to say God, but, uh, I- I'm pretty convinced that there is something. Uh, and oddly enough, in the last, I would say maybe year, maybe year and a half, I have been feeling kind of a pull like back towards actual religion, you know, like wanting to go to church, um, things like that. And a lot of it is because, because, I do think that it is because of moralistic things in some way. uh, Because in this kind of, um, you know, kind of new age, you know, I don't even know what to say, new age philosophy, You know, it's kind of like everything's relativistic, and whatever whatever you decide is good for you is good for you. And I just don't know that I buy into that because, like we were saying Mm. before, with the cake, you know, like it's not good for you, and it's there's really no argument that it's it's good for you. If you are arguing that eating yourself into an early grave is good for you, you're stupid and I don't have any respect for your opinion. Um, you know, I, I, so I actually do I I mean, if you get to decide what is moral and what is not, who are you? You know, like uh, um and, right. and these hmm. these standards that have been set by religions, even though maybe you may not agree with all of them, they've been you know, like battle-tested for thousands of years, you know. Mm. Uh, They've kept tribes of people alive and well and thriving for thousands of years. Um, So I don't know. I think that there is something to it. I am, like I said, much less opposed to it than I have been in the past.
3: What do you think, um, to what uh, Kyle said, Chris, there about um, good and bad effectively being... Not something that we can decide for ourselves. Hmm. Is there an intrinsic? Well, oh, oh, the re- the relative is yeah. The well, universe? so I, I,
2: that's a good question. So I, I, my instinct is to pull away from the idea that morality is relative, um, but I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, what I'm more curious about, Daniel, is what you think about what Kyle just said about about growing up in this conservative religious environment taking this staunch turn against it a, a, in a spirit of rebellion becoming an atheist and then in his uh in his older year older years what are we 36 <laughs> so begin, beginning beginning to feel the pull back to the yeah. same type of organized religion i'm curious because i because you seem like you're light years away from from considering you know any sort of organized church uh, you know,
3: I I am light years away <laughs> from ever considering any church. Yeah, I I would actually like, and I mean this with greatest respect to religious people. I would like to see the end of religion, mm. as in packaged, organised religion, where you join this group, and because you belong to this group, you belong this, mm. you believe this. I'd much rather see, or advocate for. Spiritual autonomy, yes, um, and sharing your views with each other and learning from each other.
5: Yes, but sure. I
3: still think that I still think there's some things that intrinsically, even if you take God out of the picture and you've got no Bible or vicar telling you this is what God says is right or wrong, there's some things that are clearly, clearly wrong. You know, um exploitation, abuse of children, mm. um, you know, violence against innocent people. Um, you don't need to be religious or have a God telling you that that is wrong. But then you get into these kind of areas where, you know, is homosexuality wrong? You know? Yeah. Is pornography wrong? Is this wrong? Is that wrong? And it's, it's not necessarily... Quite as black and white, then some will say, Oh, it's absolutely wrong because it's not natural, you know. Right, um, homosexuality is not natural. Um, if we were all homosexuals, you know, we'd die as a species, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. And then you'll get others say, Well, that's intolerance, you know. Yep, who it's... is to say? I suppose that Kyle, you said, You know, who are we to say? Mm-hmm. I suppose the question is, Who is. Who is to say what's right and wrong? It's a good question. It's a difficult one. Mm.
2: So, so uh, let me give you a. Um, I might have, I might have done this before, but let me give you a. Um, Jordan Peterson has a take on morality that I find mm. pretty interesting. He says he says something like this. I'll do my best here. He says that yep. um, he says that. Uh, let's see how do I package this up? Um, all right. He says that um, any decision that we make is a moral decision and the reason is that we have to choose. So it's like this, if I if I wanted to choose something to eat for breakfast, I'll just use a mundane example. And I have the world of choices, you know. Uh, I live in the I live in the United States of food. And my refrigerator is full, right? I can go in and pick food from around the world. It, you know, uh, pineapples from from South America and, you know, peanut butter from, you know, the Midwest and chocolate from, you know, wherever. I you know, I have a all of that at my disposal. I have to choose something. And when I choose- cake. <laughs> <laughs> when I choose the cake for breakfast, um, what I'm saying is the cake is better than all of the other choices I have at my disposal. I have selected the cake as the highest among my choices. That is a moral decision because I have decided it's better than the rest. Mm. Now I know it's really hard. It's kind of hard to understand that because it's not a moral, it's not a typical moral question, but any question like that. If I'm if I'm in a, confronted in a situation where I have an opportunity to cheat on my wife, and I have to decide, oh. do I do I cheat on her or do I not? My choice is to say if I cheat on her, I'm saying this is the be- This is the best action. It's better than the alternative. So any choice you make is to select one thing among an infinite number of alternatives. So every decision we make is as a selection of what is good and that is a moral decision. What do you think about that, Daniel?
3: I that is excellent actually. So what you're saying or, or what Peterson's saying there is that you you make a decision on something that is the highest principle of goodness. Mm-hmm and then anything that falls short of that is not as good. Something that falls really short of it is particularly bad. Sure. So I suppose things like um, cheating on your wife, you could include pornography in that. Um, even even things like uh, sex before marriage, um, all these sort of things that religion tries to address. Yes. They're all based on the idea that sex is divine, sacred, and should be enjoyed between a man and his wife, mm. right. and in that, in a religious sense, makes those other things sinful.
5: It's it's it's. Whereas, we- if
3: you don't have that, if you don't have that view, um, they're not sinful to you, are they?
2: Mm. Yeah, it's and you know what's strange about this thought experiment is that when we make a decision, all of us that is a. Relativistic thing, right? Because I'm going to make a decision that's not going to be the same rationale as you. You're going to make a different decision, let's say. So we're all there's a there's a way in which our moral choices are relative because we all have to make them individually. But then there's this also there's this there's this um, Mm -hmm. crossover where, like Daniel said um, earlier, he said abusing
4: children. We that's universal. Why
3: do we all agree on that? That's interesting, right?
4: Not so, sure that we all. do. Mm-hmm. I do. Everyone, I think, on this phone conversation does. But <laughs> right, shit's but, getting hairy but, out there. See,
2: but see, that's that's interesting because you have a relativistic morality. Ooh. Everybody has their own, right? Everybody has their own. But then there's overlap, overlaps, and if there's overlap for everyone, then it's universal, right? Then it's a universal moral, and and only uni- right. only universal morals can you codify in a book and and pose it on a culture like we do with. You know, with scripture,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, you couldn't do that with a relativistic morality. You could, if we could hypothetically say that a universal morality. would we...
3: every... Right. So if everybody or, or even I'd even say go so far as to say the vast majority, because mm. yeah. I, I think, Kyle, I don't know if we cut you off there, but so you will say child abuse is wrong. So will I. So will Chris. So mm-hmm. will Lots everyone of I know, I think, will say child abuse is wrong. If you ask a child abuser, it depends. He yeah. might be someone who abuses children and thinks he's doing something wrong, or he might be someone that's abusing children and doesn't have a conscience.
4: Sure. Yeah. I think At another all. another gray area is, um, well, and this is kind of where I have an issue. This is one of the issues that I have with, like I was saying earlier, these new age moral relativistic Uh, theories Mm -hmm. is and it it lends itself to something that I have somewhat of a problem with. It's like postmodernism. These person, these people will say, well, what do you define as abuse? Uh, And that, you know, that I guess that can be a complicated question to answer. Like that, that child abuser, you can say you're abusing that child and he can say, no, I'm not. Um, And, and, and then it's just down to like the mincing of words. Um, hmm. I've got two examples that pop in my head. I want to
2: ask you guys about. The, the first one is, it's kind of silly, but let me tell you. When I was a kid, my my dad was a hunter, and he would bring home <laughs> deer and turkey, and he would put he would hang them out in the backyard and gut them. And the kids were expected, at least the boys, were expected to be okay with that, to be around, to be curious, to be asking questions, to be looking at it, to be touching it, you know, to be interested hmm. in it. And there are some people that would say. How traumatic that you would you would make your four year old son sit there while you gut a turkey and pull its insides out and you know what I mean? These people are weak. There, there's mm-hmm. there's that it's example, and then there, and then there's another one that comes in my mind and this is a little bit hairier and it's this you know twenty thirty years ago when when we we had this debate about Nike using children in sweatshops to make their shoes and there was this big mm-hmm. thing yeah. where. We're, we're spending, you know, $200 on a pair of Air Jordans over here. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's some child stitching that together in China making pennies or something like that. This was the story that was told. And then you hear somebody like, like John Stossel, who I love, by the way, who, will, who says, yeah, sweatshops are wrong, according to us. Yeah. But, but if these children didn't have the job at the sweatshop making a 25 cents a day, they would be in the fields wake, working 10 hours a day getting diseases and, uh, you know, living shorter lives and making no money.
4: Yep, and their families would be starving, potentially.
2: Right. So the alternative, the sweatshop alternative, is far better for that child. So these are hairy, hairy situations. What do you say about that, Daniel?
3: (laughs) I think um, (laughs) think (laughs) this is my podcast, and I asked, (laughs) (laughs) question. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um I think what you're talking about there is exploitation. Mm. Is the word that pops into my head there. Yes. You know, kids in sweatshops. That's exploitation. And I think everyone would agree that exploitation is wrong. But then it's just down to the majority to decide what classes as exploitation. Mm. So you know, you tend to you tend to have local governments, don't you? Uh, country governments that would decide one thing. You know, in one country something is viewed as illegal mm-hmm. and immoral. In another country it's fine, you know, in some countries they eat dogs. Right. In Britain that's an horrendous idea. <laughs>
5: yes it is here too.
3: You know? Yeah. Um the same with uh, children working or working long hours, this sort of thing. You know, in one country it's okay, but then you've got these kind of um, uh, global or, or universal kind of uh, arrangements that come together, haven't you? Like the World Health Organization and the Children's Organization, right? Uh, United Nations, etc., and they decide as a majority what is considered to be exploitative
2: do do you how do you feel about that democratic idea daniel do you think that the majority rules is the best we can do hmm.
1: <laughs>
2: because this is some this is an interesting question and we talk about it sometimes is that we hear growing up, there's a bit of an indo- indoctrination that happens in the United States, I assume probably in Great Britain too, that where democracy is heralded. It's talked about as the turning point of Western civilization, and it's the it's the cornerstone of all the representative democracies and republics that are the greatest governments the world's ever known. And this is what we hear, but majority rules is what a democracy is. And if you have, I mean, jeez, just, just have a conversation with fifty strangers,
4: and then try to imagine the majority of those you get
3: 50 people. Fifty different answers. You know? right. Oh yeah. And
4: what do you do when the majority answer is something that you find morally repulsive? I mean, not you know everybody's favorite mm. boogeyman, Nazi Germany. They came to that through democratic means. That's what
3: I'm just. That's what I'm just thinking here. Is yeah. it, is the democratic way forward? You know, and the rule of the majority the, the best idea we've got. It probably is the best idea we've currently got. But the problem with it is you, as an individual, you are then surrendering your autonomy Right. to a degree.
5: Right, the social Mm contract.
3: Nobody nobody in that system is going to be 100% free to do what they personally think is correct.
2: Yes, yes, that's it. Um,
3: It's not ideal, is it?
2: It's not. It's not ideal. No. And I don't know. It's like the, the point Kyle makes about what if the majority's decision is something that you personally believe is reprehensible. That, you yeah. know,
1: I lost Well, my...
3: this, this is what's happening with Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. In, in the world as we know it today, homosexuality used to be not, not just religiously immoral. It was viewed as illegal. People in the UK were being hung um, for homosexuality up to quite recent times. Yeah, didn't uh, to the sixties.
2: Didn't that that gentleman, the um, the computer scientist uh, Turing, Turing, yeah, Alan Turing, wasn't Mm -hmm. wasn't he killed for being a homosexual? He was chemically castrated, and
5: I think
3: that he ended up committing suicide.
2: um, Oh yeah, rough.
3: Yeah, there was. got a list here of uh, executed people for homosexuality wow and i've got uh, i'm just trying to find united kingdom united kingdom the last person to be uh, oh that looks like we're actually we're actually ahead of the game 1835 1835 Um, the last two men to be hung for homosexuality in England, 1835. Hung. Wow.
4: It's a brutal way to go too.
3: Whereas a lot of other countries, the idea of homosexuality being wrong kind of disappeared in the 1600s. Mm.
1: Um,
3: But just to come back to Jehovah's Witnesses, the general kind of viewpoint these days is homosexuality is either a lifestyle choice or it's how you're born. And nobody should, you know, um, disrespect you for that. And it, it almost goes to the other extreme now where it's, um, you can't actually voice an opinion against homosexuality. Sure. You just have to accept that, you know, it's it's okay and, and tolerate it.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm personally okay with that. But Jehovah's Witnesses have a terrible time with that. Because they, they honestly view homosexuality as, um, more often than not, a lifestyle choice. It's not something that a person's born with. Occasionally they say they are. But they say, if you love God enough, mm. you won't be a homosexual. And if you want to live forever in paradise on earth, when all the bad people in the world are killed at Armageddon, you have to stop being doing homosexual things, even if you're a homosexual. Mm. You can be a homosexual, but you mustn't act in homosexual ways. Otherwise, you're deserving of death. Jesus. That's that's the Jehovah's Witness viewpoint.
5: Yeah, it's unbelievable. So
3: they, they struggle terribly when there's, there's kind of legislation that says, you know, homosexuality is okay. And um, I used to be a wedding photographer, and I used to get homosexual couples ring me up when I was a Jehovah's Witness, and say, will you photograph my wedding?
2: And I couldn't. Oh, no. You'd, have been, sued. you'd, have, been, I you'd have been sued in the United States, man.
3: Right. Well, it was getting that way in the UK. I mean, I used to kind of say, um, actually, what I did, it was quite, it was quite clever, actually. Um, I actually had a photographer friend who was homosexual. <laughs> so we made a deal. I said, I'll, I'll send you all the gay people. You all the straight people. But it's he's, not right. He's getting a it? lot less you know, business. I, I don't feel that's right now, you know, to turn a couple down because they're no, homosexual. No, of course not. I think that's wrong.
4: I don't know. I, I, I Naturally, just the way I am, and people who listen to this podcast know this, I tend to be a little bit contrarian. Um, mm-hmm. A little oh, bit. I, a little bit, yeah. I think. Uh, <laughs> so look i don't hate gay people i don't uh you know but i think that if somebody you know just to touch on something that actually happened here in our country if a christian family owns a bakery and they hold Mm. homosexuality to be wrong they should not be forced to do something that they find morally wrong i just don't think that that's you know i've got a real problem with that and when people say that they should be forced to do that or that they should lose their business because they chose to uphold something that they find to be, you know, um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Well, if
3: the what if the majority in the democracy say that to refuse service to a homosexual couple that is morally wrong, that's discrimination, it's intolerance, etc. He's, he's saying Does if the, that then override the individual's feeling of morality
2: i don't think so well, there, personally there, well there's a, there's social pressure that acts exactly like that there's social like, you know to mm. your point if the majority if the majority leans in one direction there's a huge amount of social pressure on the outlier people to to conform uh, but i and i think that's strange in and of itself but it's a social phenomenon and not a spiritual phenomenon i think
3: So Maybe because in the past, religion was pretty much the government, wasn't it? It
4: was, yes. Mm -hmm. So to go back to, to to tie this to something that we were talking about earlier with the cake Mm. and the eating yourself into an early grave. (laughs) Uh, If you think that, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I think that some people would, Okay, let, let me just get to my point, and then I'll get on to this. Um, if you think that one of the main purposes and drives of humanity is reproduction, and you find value in having children and having a family, um, I don't think that it's necessarily bad of people to say, maybe you shouldn't be gay. You know what I mean? Like, if you... If you truly value family and and procreating you know be being fruitful and multiplying um i think that it logically follows to say maybe you shouldn't be gay um and i just think that um it's like uh i don't think that you have to like hate it doesn't have to be a, a thing of i want to you know hang you or chemically castrate you or throw you off of a building but i do think that maybe that's not good you know um and i don't i think that people try to conflate those things that just because i think that maybe you shouldn't do that means that i hate you or i want to kill you which is nonsense um
3: well if if you think if you think homosexuality is wrong um then the answer is don't be a homosexual
5: sure so that's it. I, I but can, when it
3: comes to someone else being a homosexual, as long as it's not deemed by the vast majority to be immoral or illegal or exploitative or whatever, it's what, up to them.
4: But what about when you get to the, like that situation with the cake, where somebody says, "If you don't bake this cake for this homosexual couple, we're going to sue you into non-existence." <laughs> um, I don't see. That's where I start to have a problem with these things. And also, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we might put it this way: if if your freedom infringes on my freedom,
2: then we have a problem, right? If right, if your if your right. if your freedom to to right. to be mm-hmm. to be homosexual infringes on my freedom to run a business the way I see fit, well, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not but sure. Then to,
3: the the Christian way of looking at it would be for the two of you to sit down and seek the benefit of the other.
2: And that's probably the best way, and nobody will ever and do that.
3: <laughs> to your own wishes:
2: <laughs> So I, I wanted to say something controversial yeah. here about this.
3: Go on please. I, I
2: hate to do this, but I want, but I'm going to. So because one, on. one of the things Kyle and I always say on this podcast is that you got to do the hard thing. People are so eager to take the easy route all the time, and if they just mm-hmm. did the hard thing, the world would be a better place. So let's go back to Kyle's example. You have a homosexual man, let's say. Um, yep. And he values family values. He va- he values traditional family values, even Christian values. He values the family and children and procreation and obeying God and all that sort of stuff. But he's a homosexual. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You could say to that person like you, you just did, Kyle. If you value you know your religion and you value f- family and having children, you should do what you don't want to do. You should do the hard thing and give up, sacrifice your, your uh, homosexual um, life in favor of a heterosexual one that you, that, you, you know, that you dislike. Do the hard thing and you can have what you want. Sacrifice the right thing and you can have what you want. And what, what's strange about this is that you could say the same thing to somebody who's obese. You could say, do the hard thing and control your diet. Do the hard thing and exercise. We have no problem with that but if you say to somebody who's homosexual, do the hard thing and don't suck dick, then you're then you're then uh, apologies this is your podcast I know day I knew I, sh- I shouldn't have said that. But uh, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? It's do do the hard thing and, and not have that homosexual uh interaction and you can have what you want. It's just a matter of s- the right sacrifice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What do you
3: think of that? Which is effectively which is effectively what Jehovah's Witnesses um, standpoint is you can be homosexual as in Identify homosexually and be attracted to people of the same sex, but you don't do homosexual acts.
2: So it's,
5: it would be, if you
3: want to be accepted by God,
2: it would be such a detriment to somebody's like Um, sense of themselves and expression and happiness.
3: So many Jehovah's Witnesses have either been disfellowshipped, you know, excommunicated because they're homosexual and, you know, they, they engage in homosexual acts. Um or they've left because mentally it's just screwing their heads up mm. that they have to kinda of live this heterosexual life when they're not heterosexual. There's even been ones that have ended up committing suicide. See that's the pressure is just so super great, you know, super not complicated. Being true to themselves Right, mm.
4: right. I have I mean, obviously I don't think that anyone should commit suicide. That's terrible. Um I do have mixed feelings about that, though, because like my initial impulse, when you say that somebody is excommunicated from their community for uh, something like that, my initial instinct is to be like, that's not good. You know, you should uh, you should be tolerant. You should you should help them work through it. Um, You know, and and if if,
3: you can work. Is it something you can work through, though? If, if you are thats a question. it's not, you know, people sort of think or, or, or put this idea forward that it is a lifestyle choice. I chose to be homosexual. But a lot of homosexuals, and I have known a few, will disagree with that. They'll say it's not a lifestyle choice any more than you. I, I personally feel attracted to women.
2: Right, and that wasn't um, a choice for you, Daniel. Right, it's not a choice for
5: not me. A choice, yeah,
3: no, no. I mean, may, maybe. See, I was listening to your podcast the other day when you were saying about um, uh, transgender. I know that's a slightly different subject there, but yeah. the way that people become transgender or become homosexual because it's encouraged in um, in our society mm. these days. You know, am I? Am I? attracted to women because that is what was presented to me by my jehovah's witness parents growing up if i if i'd have been brought up by two homosexuals would i would i be homosexual i don't know i
5: I would say no my instinct is to say no i
3: think i would still be heterosexual because it's just intrinsically how i feel i think
4: Um, practical evidence of you you when you talk about homosexuality being a choice or it being in you know born in you i think practical evidence is that the vast vast majority of humans now and throughout history have not been gay um so you know I, Obviously, there are genetic variations. You know, not everyone is the same, but they've never been able to tie homosexuality to any kind of gene thing. They've been trying for you know yeah. a long time, but they've never been able to. Um
3: I just again, and yet these days, these days, I would say it almost seems like every other person is homosexual. Or I think that that's or bi, or yeah. I think that that's how.
4: That's how things are presented to you. But I think in your everyday life, does that seem true to you? It doesn't seem true to me. I mean, you know, when you watch TV.
3: Um, my personal experience is that quite a few people I know are, um, homosexual or transgender, um, or bisexual, Um, Yeah, I I mean, I know at least three people that are transgender. I've got at at least uh, three people I would class as not necessarily friends, but acquaintances that are homosexual. Um, But how many people do you know?
4: I mean, you know, well, I'm sure that
3: many, not that many these days. Yeah, okay. Witness, Fair enough. I knew thousands of people, <laughs> and I hardly knew any homosexuals or bi people or transgender. Now I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. My social circle is much smaller, but I would say, I would say, looking at it, it seems like probably maybe maybe a third, maybe not that many. Maybe a fifth of my social circle well, you know, and, are not heterosexual.
2: And tw- twenty years ago, twenty years ago, that would be that would be very different. And I I agree. I, you know, I think like I, I have members of my own family that are that are young, like college age uh, members of my own family, yep. that have no trouble whatsoever exploring the idea that they may be transsexual or that they may not be cisgendered, as we, as they say nowadays. Hmm. That they may that they may fall into some other category, and those. Conversations were never had in the history of, of human beings up until like when, you know 20 right. years ago. Yeah. So, I think that there is a social component that makes it acceptable and desirable. Um, I think people pretended to be gay um, during the when, when Will and Grace first started airing on, on TV, and, and homose- mm-hmm. homosexuality was suddenly a huge part of popular culture in the United States. People were pretending to be gay because it was cool. And people are pretending to be transgendered now because it's cool. You'll never change my mind on that. The, the majority of the people who say that they're transgender today, especially those that are college age, are pretending because they think it's cool. Right. Period.
4: I think... Uh, <laughs> my cousin is doing it. He's pretending. Yeah, I think that there's definitely... Yeah, I mean
3: my, um, I've, I've actually got a child that is uh, transgender. Um,
2: would would you say the same would you would you say that there's social pressure and that it's attra- socially attractive and that's the instinct or do you think there's something else going on
3: I'm, I'm torn in i'm torn in that she presents a very um believable case for um saying that she's had uh, body dysmorphia and um, never felt like a a boy and mm. um, you know, born this way and kind of thing, and gone, gone the whole um, process of uh, uh, medically changing her gender and also having operations to change her, her gender to a woman. I didn't know that. Um, yep, um, she actually left Jehovah's Witnesses because she felt she was transgender, and of course, it would be. Uh, frowned upon within the jehovah's witness organization so she chose to disassociate herself which then of course came with being shunned by all of her friends and family and i regret that i really regret that on hindsight that i followed the religious route and shunned my mm. um, child because well initially because he, at the time, left home and said he didn't want to be a Jehovah's Witness. And then later said, I'm transgender. And I just continued the shunning. At the point where she said she was transgender, which was um, six months after she'd left the religion, mm. she came and told us. Um, I think that's the point where she needed support. A lot of support yes. from her parents. Sure. And we took the religious route. And it was like, no, hands off you
4: know.
3: I do think, go ahead. Well, you're just asking whether or not it's born in or whether it's learned. I also have a feeling that he at the time was going through, he'd not long been at college started college. It was the first time he was ever introduced to ideas outside of the religious Mm. circle because He'd been home-educated by his um, Jehovah's Witness mum. And within a very short time of coming into contact with the college education system, he was questioning everything, and I mean everything. He went from a God-believer to an evolutionist. He went from a Christian to an atheist. Mm -hmm. He went from a boy to a girl. And I don't know... I don't know how much of that was the environment that he was in. You know, you know, when they say that children rebel. Oh, yes. Hmm. Was that was that it he, he might be subconsciously a rebellion. Um, trying to sort of reinvent his entire life into something mm. new. That's what I, I suspect if he ever or she now ever heard me say that she would be highly offended by that
0: what that why that
2: that's what you do in college you 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 step out on your own for the first time and you and you and you step out
3: well the 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 idea the idea that transgenderism is a life choice i think she would be highly offended at that idea
2: so this is where my fear is it's
3: kind of there in the back of my mind but i'm not fully convinced that's the reason why she is
2: well and you also you also want to want to realize that I don't know how, how old she is now but uh it definitely 20, takes
3: 22. Oh,
2: okay. So so that's exact so her brain isn't fully developed until she's 28 and having the, having the ability to see the real impact, the real long-term permanent consequences of that. She's not capable of, of, of she's, and I don't mean this in any insulting way. I mean, her brain is literally not done done developing. developing. She cannot understand fully what she's done. And somebody who does something irreversible, like long-term hormone treatment or surgery Mm -hmm. That is my greatest fear as a parent I have two two young girls if this happens if this yep. you know if this happens in, in you know in their lives if if I am the supportive parent and i do and I go along with it and down the line they regret a decision like that that they can no longer fix i f- it's just absolutely terrible to imagine can you
3: imagine if they took that choice at the age of five or six, oh my because God. The society that they live in is telling them you've been born a girl, but it's your choice.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, well,
3: I think, I think that is way too early to be introducing any ideas of bisexuality, transgenderism, homosexuality, or even just sex in general. The,
4: there's a big cultural push for that now though. Like people want know. to be able to do that kind of thing. And yes. that, in my mind, is almost like I was talking about earlier—practical evidence of the fact that it is a choice, and they are pushing for this because they know it's a choice, and uh, they—they've decided that this is the moral thing, uh, and we're going to push this agenda. Uh, and I, I just don't—it's repulsive to me. I, I, I think.
3: I certainly... I certainly can agree that that is the case in some cases, not necessarily all, but I will agree that is the case in some.
4: I think that if you take a different, I don't know, so uh, we'll just go with like the religious context since we've been talking about it. Uh, (laughs) You know, if you take a different sin, okay, alcoholism, and you go to a kindergarten class and you're like... It's fine to be an alcoholic. No big deal at all. Let's pour, some, uh, yeah. let's pour some tequila shots for these five-year-olds. That is... I mean, I don't even have a bad enough word for how repulsive that is, okay? It, that is ruining these children. That is setting them up to think about a thing that will destroy them, whether you think it's a sin or not. Uh, that is setting them up to follow a behavior that will destroy them later in life. Uh, and telling them that it's okay, it's good. If that's what you want, you should do it. If that's the way you feel, you follow put, that put, road. Would
3: you would you put um, sexuality on the same level as alcoholism or, um, say, uh, harmful drugs or smoking or whatever?
4: I would. It, so, sexual sexuality i don't know um i i'll tell you i'm more open to it than probably most like liberal people are uh but i was speaking more specifically about transgenderism having a five-year-old you know i'm comparing encouraging a five-year-old to be an alcoholic
3: to harmful to a child of the age of say five to introduce them to the idea that they're born gender is a choice yeah, yeah I, I think, think they so can change it if they want to i think it's yeah.
4: probably not um beneficial but again the, more specifically what i mean is introducing them to alcohol and introducing them to like hormones and things like that putting a five-year-old on oh, right, on okay. hormones that are going to change them forever for the rest of their lives
3: yes uh, right okay yes the physical side side effects of that yeah because it's not something that afterwards you can change. No, you're
4: you're. It's done. You know,
3: I want, especially if you've had the operation. So oh, yeah, that's so gone.
2: So Daniel, I, I I do think that telling a five year old kid that he can choose um, his gender, I think that is harmful.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And
2: I'll tell you why. Okay. It's it's not as straightforward as you you might imagine. I, I think it's the idea that you that you introduce the idea of identity to a child at all. Mm-hmm. Be, and I think Ooh. I think that's what this argument surrounds. A child is supposed to discover their identity. It's so important. Uh, you go out and you play. You play with people. You meet people. You talk to them. You see who who's different in what ways, what characteristics you like and don't like. None of that should ever have to do with sex or gender or a forced identity. You're supposed to discover well, this why
3: it. You, this is why you don't get too many a three year old racist <laughs>
2: exactly exactly <Isn't> <laughs> and and you know it's funny because in this country I mean r- racism has ramped up in the United States so bad you can't believe it and it's not from the direction you think I would imagine because what you hear on the on the on the news is that there's a bunch of Rich white people that are in, that are losing their grip on control of culture and society and are starting to well, act out and we're going to bring back lynchings and all this nonsense and white supremacy is on is on everyone 's lips like that's a thing it's not a thing man it's not a thing the- The racism that's creeping in into our culture is a political game it's it was a choice that was made from our political parties to to keep us fighting with one another any way possible so that we avoid joining forces on any items that we actually care about. And they made the deliberate choice to make it racism. And it, and it worked so well over the last 10 years that they're, that they're ramping it up and ramping it up and ramping it up. I can't remember where I was going with all this, but it, it clearly, it fires me up. It, it's the wrong thing to well, do.
3: No, I, I think it's, I think you're kind of coming back to the idea. I think we're all on the same page at least to some degree, that when it comes to gender um, and what is considered moral, immoral, right, wrong, etc., is to some degree the product of control, whether that's democratic control, religious control, governmental control, societal control. um, We don't have the freedom at the moment, to voice our opinion respectfully, if it dis- if it differs from, you know, the masses, it's almost automatically viewed as, you know, you're homophobic or yes. you're racist yes. or your are um, you know, you're. Transphobic or
2: whatever. That, no, that's exactly the the right point that you just brought up. We no longer have yep. the ability to to disagree respectfully. That is exactly it.
4: I also think that when you build tension around these sort of things, you know, the baking the cake is one thing. If you say you have to bake the cake, that's one thing. If it gets to the point where you've got more conservative people, more traditional type people, and the culture is saying you have to accept transgenderism to the point where if your child says i feel transgender and you don't allow them to start taking hormones we'll take your children away from you things are going to deteriorate quickly
2: a child would never ever 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 say to their parent i think i'm transgendered unless somebody told them that transgender is a thing and unless some adult told them about it, they would never, ever say that to their parent. They would instead say, I like, I'm like i a girl, but I like playing baseball. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Go play baseball. You don't have to have hormones. Go play baseball, climb a tree.
3: Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? My, uh, my girlfriend and me were having this discussion the other day, and she was saying that when she was growing up, she, she basically would have liked to have been a boy. Yeah. Because she just liked the boy things. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, nothing wrong with that. But she's completely heterosexual. She's got no no attraction to girls whatsoever. Um, and I'm actually the the other way. I am um, very much into. I'm a, I'm very much a bloke bloke. You know, I'm attracted mm-hmm. to women, not at all attracted to guys. But um, I'm very much in touch with my feminine side to the point that pretty much all my friends over the years have been women, and they always talk to me about their women problems mm. <laughs> you know things yeah. they wouldn't talk to a guy about
2: um so we we kind of have that we kind of have that in common i'm uh, i'm a little bit <laughs> on that on that side when i was growing up in, in high school all my i said at the at the lunch table it was all girls <laughs> it's all girls. all
5: girls
3: yeah yeah i never used to have much success with the girls kind of finding me attractive or wanting to be, you know, my girlfriend. Yep, friends. They always used to think I was like just their mate.
5: Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, no,
4: yeah. I wasn't. <laughs> no, no. They never are. Crap. All the do du- all the dudes who are hanging out with the girls, and uh, the the girls think that they're just friends. That guy does yeah. not want to be friends. He does not only want to be friends. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, hey, hey! You guys, I, I, uh, I would like to um, get off the transgendered subject as quickly as possible, but I have to ask. Oh. I, I have to say one more controversial thing that Daniel will need yep. to will need to edit right out I'd of here. I'd like
3: to. I'd like to move you on to something in a minute if you're free for that.
2: I am absolutely free, but I want to say one other controversial free. thing, and it is this. Go on. Kyle was talking about the little kid that walks up to their parents and says, "I, I think I'm in the wrong body." That kind of a thing. Yep.
1: Um,
2: I think that a Teacher or a parent <clears throat> that talks to a kid about those sorts of issues and uh, would put a kid in that position is comparable to what mm-hmm. to what the Nazis did with the Hitler Youth, where they where they brought all of the young children to camp from all over the German speaking world, and they all learned propaganda. They all learned how to be a good Nazi, and and it was. Traumatic and damaging to these kids, and I think that is on par with an adult who would who would instill in their child this idea of transgenderism and try to confuse them about their identity and and get them to consider something so ha- potentially harmful. So that's that's
4: that's what I wanted to say.
3: So potentially, it could be abusive.
4: I think so. I, I think particularly, you know. It, I think that parents have some kind of autonomy in the way that they raise their children and formulate their family, the beliefs that they have. But when you send your kids to a school and you've got some random creepy-ass teacher who's filling your kid's head with these kind of ideas, that's a problem. Um, And that's what I meant earlier when I said that these kind of things, if these these ideas are instituted and these more traditional and conservative people have no recourse, things are going to deteriorate quickly. In America, we liked to act like Donald Trump was like literally Hitler. Um, If things keep going this way where people are forcing traditional people, traditional and conservative minded people to be okay with these sorts of ideas, we will get a swing far right in this country, that's right. I mean, it's coming. You know, if this kind of stuff keeps going, it's inevitable. And I think that that's obviously true.
3: Okay, excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle.
5: What else you got, Daniel? What do we got? So
3: can I bring you? Um, can I bring you on to uh, just in the last half hour or twenty minutes or so that we've got? Um, I'd like your viewpoints on something I've been reading recently that has um, kind of changed not not changed my view overly about God and spirits and what have you but it, it's just kind of clarified a few things for me um, I've been reading a book called Backwards, Returning to Our Source for Answers by uh, Nancy Dannison and presents the idea that there is a source um, you guys might call it God but we go with the word source in this book and it says it's effectively um, explains it's effectively a singularity um, eternal um, knows everything all probabilities um, outside of space and time but is unable to basically know Itself or experience anything on a kind of temporal level mm. without a dual nature to reflect itself back through. Mm. So it introduces the idea that you've got source and then source produces these kind of fragmented, fractal uh, instances of itself. Yes. Which the author refers to as light beings. Um, we would probably say spirits or angels. Um, and that these vibrate at somewhat of a slower frequency than source, um, but still faster than humans. So you've got these like spirits, angels on this kind of spirit plane, have got much more of a, even though they're spirit, they've got much more of a temporal kind of mm. association with space and time. Um and then you come down a step, you've got humans. Now, the book basically presents humans, if I understand it correctly, as, as being essentially animals, animal bodies made out of flesh and bones. No different than animals that work on instinct, um, evolved. Um, and when you, when you look at humans without considering the spiritual side of things, there, does, there is an element of instinctiveness about it. Mm-hmm animal behaviour but it seems like we've got something within us that differentiates us. certainly you guys and myself and my girlfriend and some of my friends when we're talking to each other something that differentiates us from the animals something that is divine something spiritual and the way this book uh, describes what's happened here is that the spirits or the angels on the spirit plane basically can choose to blend with a body of flesh.
1: Mm.
3: So it's kind of a a sort of incarnation idea, yes. except unlike Hinduism, where you don't really have a choice as to what you incarnate into. You just have to kind of keep going round and round in circles until you break the cycle. Um, this idea that this author presents is that you actually choose. You get to choose The life you want as a human um you you come to earth you experience it as a human a spirit within a human and then when you die it's your body and your brain that dies and your spirit is released back to its natural form on the spirit plane and then you get to choose you can either do it all over again if you want to come back for another uh human experience again um, or you can go back to source and lose your individuality, or you can hang around on the spirit plane and be a spirit guide for a period of time. Um, what's your thoughts to that? The idea, particularly the idea that as humans, we are, this is not the first time we've been here. This is not our first experience. We actually are spirit creatures, that maybe lived many lives before, mm. and that we're blended with the flesh. Any thoughts on that?
2: Kyle looked right at me so I'll tell you who's
3: going to go first <laughs>
2: I'll tell you what I think what comes to my mind I like the idea of it fits into my pen psychist narrative I like the idea mm-hmm. of thinking about a spiritual realm as a conscious existence at some, in some like parallel uh, existing parallel to our realm somehow if that if that like you suggested, might be something as simple as, um, you know, matter or energy at a higher frequency. And so it it exists alongside the material world. It's invisible to us because of the way it exists, uh, but it's there nonetheless. I really like that idea as a sort of materialist way or a sort of um, maybe more scientific way of understanding how, how a spirit world might be possible and how at how supernatural creatures um, might exist, um, I, I, th- I think it's an interesting idea. Where I struggle is is that the spirit, the spirits in the spirit realm that can choose to um, incarnate, thinking about mm-hmm. those thinking about those spirits as different from source, that's where I have trouble, um, because I. I don't know maybe I'm being naive and sh- and um short sighted but i I've always understood god and re- and reality to be two sides of one coin and what you and what you're suge- what you're suggesting is that maybe there's a third side to the coin or maybe even some tra- yeah, trans transistory yeah. phase between god and 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 the material world
1: exactly.
2: yeah. oh boy um I think it's interesting. I just wonder: is it necessary to have the intermediate phase? Um, I, I don't. I guess where I resist is like I'd, I've always had trouble believing in things like angels and demons. I've always had trouble believing that there are spiritual forces in the material world that don't live in us that live that are that are external to us somehow. I've always had okay. trouble with that.
3: Right. Yeah. What about you, Kyle?
4: Um, so I am the type of person, I'm interested in these kind of things, but I only really ever give them the most cursory of thoughts, uh, because if, you know, the thing that you proposed or this author proposed is true, that you can, you know, after you die, your spirit continues and you get to make some sort of a choice, um... I just don't think that we're ever going to know. Uh, I mean, it, it, you would think that if that was true, we would have some sort of memory
3: of it, you know. If uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, um, the author says that we uh, we forget when we come to earth. <laughs> yeah,
4: um, but I, I mean, I, I feel like maybe uh, I definitely do believe that whatever the energy that your spirit is, I don't think that when you die that 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 goes away. I mean, I think that there's. Right. I, you know I'm not so saying I'm
3: kind, I'm kind of I'm kind of leading you down a um, down a particular path here okay <laughs> Um, you were speaking in one of your podcasts recently about a character known as Lilith yes yeah yes you remember that one I do indeed yeah Um, the kind of demon demon woman who uh,
2: wanted
5: to be on top with kind Adam of a bad,
3: yeah. ver- bad version of Eve yes yes <laughs> Bizarro yeah, in uh, mythology and what have you. Now, one of you, I'm not sure who it was, one of you said that she steals babies' souls. Yes. Yeah. Now, I got thinking on this. Um, I remember a very specific time as a baby, as a child, I remember a very specific time where I felt like I came online mm. as a conscious. Human, I can trace my beginning, all my thoughts, back to that one moment in time. Hmm. And it was, um, I was outside a hospital, in a car, uh, and my dad was picking up my little sister who'd just been born. And that's my first conscious memory. Yes, interesting. Yeah. And I'm thinking about this incarnation idea, that if you've got spirits that are incarnating into bodies, when would they be incarnating? Would it be at conception? Would it be when they're born? Would it be a little bit older? I mm-hmm. propose in this thought experiment that they're a little bit older. So they come online, the spirit joins this baby uh, and then grows up and has, has this human experience. Um, is it possible... This is going to blow your mind.
1: <laughs>
3: is it possible that there are humans out there that have no soul, no (laughs) spirit. They literally are just animal bodies walking around, acting with instinct, with not a spiritual bone to them. I think there are definitely people who behave that way. Hmm.
2: Well, so this is interesting for two reasons to me. Firstly, you probably know this, but firstly, in the the old days, and like in the medieval period, um, people didn't used to give their children names until they were a mm-hmm. certain until they were old, until they were certain I don't know how old, but you know until they were a certain age because there was so much infant mortality that the idea was that if you gave your child a name, you would have attachment to the child, and if they died it would make it harder, so people wouldn't name their children, and there was a religious rationale for that which said, and this goes back a very very long way, that said that human beings didn't they didn't get their soul until they were a certain age. Mm. Um, I don't know, you know, the deep history there, but the, but but that's the case. So that's interesting that you say that. And I also wanted to tell you that my first conscious memory is of a dream. Isn't that weird? Okay. I, I had a dream. I have a twin sister, Daniel. I had a dream that me and my sister were in the back seat of a station wagon. That it was the first car I remember. We we had one of those Woody station wagons. And, uh, we were in the back and there was nobody driving. Nobody else was in the car, but the car was driving down the road and me and my sister were in the back and I was terrified when I realized nobody was driving the car. We kept getting further and further away from home and I was scared. I couldn't stop the car. I didn't know what was going to happen. And that's my, er that was my earliest memory. That's where I can find my consciousness origin in a dream. Isn't that weird?
3: That is weird. It's interesting that it comes on at a certain point, isn't it?
2: it is interesting, it is interesting, mm-hmm. so the other thing that comes to my mind is is um sociopaths, you know sociopaths, so you have these ah, you have oh, these people yeah, out there if you
3: wanted to touch on this oh good, one, yeah. yeah so you do have you do have That's peop- the very next thing I've got down to ask well
2: you. let's yeah well let's hear what you let's hear what you have to say on that
3: well I was going to ask you if you'd ever heard of a man called reinhard uh, heydrich no Heydrich. oh. He was an SS officer in the uh, Second World War. He was the principal architect of the Holocaust. Mm. Um, And he was so um, dark um, in his ways that he did things, Hitler actually referred to him as the man with the iron heart.
5: Oh, wow. And
3: the Nazis, Hitler himself, was even scared of this guy, Reinhard Heydrich. Wow. Um, He could walk along a a line of innocent people, shoot them all in the head, and just think of it the same way as we do when we pour bleach down a toilet to get Mm. rid of bacteria. Um, It was just a job that needed doing. Wow. And he he actually used to be more concerned if some blood spatters got on his uniform than about Mm. the people he'd just shot. Now, somebody like that... I mean sociopath, psychopath. Mm. That to me is somebody that does not have a soul.
2: Yeah, I mean I can see I can see what you mean, because the lack of empathy like the in, the inability to put yourself in the other person's shoes like a lot of times that's that's what the story of the garden of eden is described about it's described about the awakening of consciousness and and to go back to what jordan peterson says about this he says he he struggled to understand what the story meant what the story of adam and eve had to do with consciousness because knowledge of good and evil right that's consciousness um and he said that um he said that when you when you are when you are when you discover what hurts you that you immediately know what hurts somebody else so you need to have a soul you need that to awareness ha- you need to have consciousness yes. to to be you need to have consciousness in order to be evil so mm-hmm. and that's and and so so I, I i don't know because using the word consciousness and soul as synonyms i'm not sure like how far we can take that, but I tend to I tend to look at it that way. It's like, oh boy, it's like we were talking about understanding God as being all good and all evil and seeing that represented on the earth in human beings. And this SS guy is the embodiment of the evil side. You know? <clears throat> so I don't I don't know that I would say he doesn't have a soul. I would say that his I would say his soul's twisted, you know?
4: Yeah. So, actually, I have heard and if of If you th-
3: introduce the idea that it's an incarnation, you, you'd then be introducing the idea that this is not an angelic soul, this is a demonic soul. Mm.
4: That's interesting. Yeah. So, I actually have heard of that guy. I didn't understand uh, when you said his name at first, but I have heard of Reinhard Heydrich. Um, and I just think that Reinhard Heydrich is the kind of guy who, in a much more extreme form, is the guy who chose to eat cake all the time. You know, he cho- he chose a. A different version of doing something that is obviously not good—that mm. uh, yeah. brings no kind of like.
3: Well, it's beyond. It's beyond animalistic, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You you wouldn't see um, brutality like that in in you know unthinking um, animal.
2: That's interesting. That's interesting because you because you don't you don't see like empathy in other animals, right? You don't see that. But you also don't mm. see, but you also don't see, you know, that level of brutality either. You don't, you don't. You don't see, no. It's not an instinct like, like a chimpanzee, you know, defending its his, you know, uh, pack or whatever you call him, his group. You mm. know, it's not, it's not like an instinct to be that evil. It's, is it?
3: Yeah, most most animals will not attack unless provoked. Right. You know, they they certainly won't walk along just shooting everything. So, uh, I had, I've got this. I've, I've always had this idea of a programmatic universe. Insofar as the the way that everything works, it's all kind of a uh, you've got source, which is some sort of divine grid, some sort of quantum grid, and everything is kind of arising from this quantum matrix. You know, reality, physical reality, and what have you. Mm. And then you've got kind of, for want of a better word, coding or rules or laws that are built into uh, the quantum uh, field that dictates how things manifest themselves. You know, mm. um, and the idea in a computer game or a or a sim game, particularly where you've got you've got like the main characters. You know, you are this character that's playing the game. You know, and you. You're the soul behind the character. And then there might be somebody online that is playing, you know, the other side of the world, but there's also a real person behind that character. Right. And you're playing the game. But then coded into this kind of um, computer-generated universe, you have um, what are known as non-player characters, NPCs. Yep. They're basically just, just characters that are automated and they just respond right you know they walk around they respond if you shoot them they'll shoot you back if you don't see them first they might shoot you first mm. that kind of thing and i just wonder whether honestly just wonder whether some of the bad things in the world whether we can put it down to soulless people npcs little more than animals worse than animals i don't know yeah
2: that's that's just really that's really interesting because it because it makes me think that if you could identify those people, then you would have to ask yourself whether it's worth having them around, and then you become them. Then you immediately become them. You know.
4: Yeah. My mind, I guess, my initial gut reaction is to say that I doubt that it is people who have no souls, and more people who yeah. have corrupted souls.
3: I right, right, that's that's a that's a strong contender for the uh, other opinion that I've got on this. Yeah. yeah
2: hey daniel you're talking about the um the the grid you know the 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 hmm. the matrix behind reality that that sort of thing that we we talk about sometimes source um yeah. i uh I, I was just watching a documentary last night and the guy said something really interesting it just popped in my head and i want to share it with you um there's a guy his, name, his name is jim Akhalili. he's a professor at the University of Surrey and he does all of these physics documentaries i just love them and um, mm-hmm. And he did this one, and he was talking about these scientists that were studying vacuum. They were trying to figure out, can you pull all the space out of a, out of a, a, a mm. you know container? can you yeah. can you empty it? Is there such a thing as nothing? That's what they were trying to figure out. And they were doing all these experiments with vacuums. and one of the scientists said, after all these experiments, they couldn't figure out how to make nothing. It was impossible for them to get a vacuum that had nothing because what happened was over really short periods of time, little packets of energy would appear inside the vacuum and then they would disappear again. And so the idea was that there was literally energy coming from nowhere, coming from Mm -hmm. nothing and it would come and then it would go. And because it would come and go so quickly, it didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't go against any laws of physics because it happened so quickly. And yep. it's called vacuum energy, and what the scientist said was he said this he said the vacuum is alive yes the nothing yes, the absolutely. nothing is yep. alive how cool is that yeah. man?
3: the quantum the quantum grid the, the quantum grid effectively is producing waves when agitated mm. um, and those waves are causing small packets of energy which become, you know, when they're built up based on the laws of physics, they become the atoms and the molecules that make everything up. Yeah, I believe. You effectively can never have nothing. There's Something will always arise. That's the idea, isn't it?
5: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Are you guys, um, I just wanted to ask you uh, time-wise, yes. we're just coming up to the two-hour mark. Yes. Have you got time for me just to run one more thing past you?
2: Absolutely. I can do I can do ten do more minutes. So got, yeah. Do
3: you need you've got ten more minutes. Yes, sir. Okay. This is this is on a similar line to the quantum idea that you've just introduced there. You're you're both aware of the um double slit experiment, aren't you, where yep. um photons are Sean, on a uh, a screen that's got two um,
5: slits. Two slits
3: yes. <laughs> when you fire a load of light at the two slits, as you would imagine, some of the photons go through one slit, some of the photons go through the other slit, and on the other side, they interfere with each other in a pattern that makes it look like a wave. Yes. And you say, oh, that all makes sense. But then what happens, if you fire one photon... Um, will it go through the first slit or the second slit? Well, it actually goes through both slits. Mm. And you still get a quantum wave um, interference on the other side. amazing. Unless you move the detector to the actual slit. If you measure which slit it actually went through, then it acts like a particle and it only goes through one. Yes. So by, by moving the observer from the result to the point where the decision is made, oh. it seems that the observer actually affects the, the result. So we, we know that, I'm just sort of laying this out for the people that yes. are listening, we know that dual-slip um, experiment. Have you heard of Wheeler's Delayed Choice experiment?
2: No, but I'm a big fan of John Wheeler, so let's hear it.
3: Mm. Right, so same experiment again but this time what they do they take they take a photon okay so a single photon and they split it using um, a let me just get this right they split it using
2: a beam splitter maybe
3: a, a splitter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, they use it they uh, I'm just trying to find the picture bear with me it's like a crystal that yep. they use um, to split it. So what you get is you get, uh, you end up with two halves of a photon, uh, which are what we we call entangled. I think we've discussed that before, where it doesn't matter where in the universe those two photons go, if you change the spin on one, it will change the spin on the other Mm -hmm. immediately. Yeah? Yep. But what they do with these two photons, or these two halves of the photons, they send one through a double-slit experiment without doing anything to it. The other one, they send it through Mm. many, many, many miles of um, uh, optic fibre cable. So it arrives at its version of the double-slit experiment um, later Mm. than the first one. Yeah,
5: I'm on the edge of my seat.
3: But what they find is, if you observe the one that arrives first, whatever you observe that state as being, the one that arrives afterwards is also the same state. Okay. So it's not just the separation of distance that particles can instantly communicate with each other. But they can also communicate with each other uh, when the time is dilated. Mm. And if you change, if you change um, something about the, the photon that's made it through it first, if you if you observe it and it collapses and it becomes a particle, the exact same thing happens with the second one without you even putting a detector there.
5: Mm. So that's interesting. So they
3: call it's basically what they call retrocausality.
2: Oh. Ah. So let me let me just <laughs> let me just repeat this in my words. You tell me, you tell me if this <clears> if this is it. So so the uh, photon is um, split split in two directions, and in and the one direction it's going to hit the detector more quickly than on the other. Because the photons were created in the same quantum event, they're entangled. So the one, let's okay. say the one, the one on the left hits the detector quickly. The one on the right goes a long ways away before it hits a detector. Um, the one on the yep. left who already hit the detector already predetermined what the one on the right was going to be before it even gets to the double slit. Yep. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um,
3: so I've, I've, <laughs> see, I've got this idea that source, coming back to source again that source source is not the observer source knows all possibilities not just in space but also in time yes and time is just an illusion to source things that happen first and second can equally happen second and first it doesn't matter Mm. every every event that happens wherever it is in space wherever it is in time source just knows where everything is and what all the potential possibilities are so when it comes to good and bad for example um everything's good everything's bad it 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 just is but then it's us as the observers that are collapsing these wave functions and uh, effectively making reality manifest itself does that follow
2: i i love that i love that
3: so, and, and and this other experiment seems to indicate that we can even affect the past.
2: That's interesting. So, mm. so I want to I want to get in this this deeper, but I have one thing that pops in my head that I never really could quite understand, and it seems like it's connected to this. Um, when I was reading David Chalmers' book, The Conscious Mind. Uh, he's, he's the Mm -hmm. guy, he's the guy that talks about the, the hard problem of consciousness. He said something really interesting when he was trying to make the argument that consciousness is not, um, it's not determined based on the laws of physics. It's something else, you know, consciousness can't Mm -hmm. be explained by the laws of physics. And he says that there's a word he uses for it. He says it, it's, um, oh, now I'm going to lose it, uh, Anyway, I lost it. But there's some specific word that, that means that it, it, it's not determined by any, by any physical laws. He goes through this whole book yep. saying that consciousness is, a, is weird. It can't be explained scientifically because it's not predictable based on phys- physics at all. But then later in the book, he says something else. He's like, you know, there is one other thing like that. There's one other thing like consciousness that doesn't <laughs> supervene on the physical. That's the word. And that's causality so you have consciousness and you have causality and that both of those things are like like diamonds in the rough they're t- only two things that we know about that aren't causally that aren't um that don't supervene on on the laws of physics and when you talk about causality we're we're talking about time aren't we one thing causes another we're
3: talking about time
2: right right so so causality is something like consciousness that exists somehow apart from the laws of physics that govern everything else. Mm-hmm. What does that mean?
3: I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what I think it means. Okay. What I think it means the sequential order that things happen are not determined by when the things actually happen but they're determined by how we perceive them
1: mm.
3: consciously. Just to give give you a quick um, illustration. If you if, right, so uh, light travels at one hundred eighty two hundred eighty six thousand miles a second, something like that. Fast. And um, sound only travels at one thousand one hundred feet per second.
2: Mm, I think yes. It is still pretty fast so if you
3: stand 1100 feet away from a flare gun that goes off, you will see the light before you see before you hear the bang yes the bang will happen a second later but because you know that both the bang and the flash were causally related you just know that from the context Mm
1: -hmm.
3: it was someone pulling a trigger right you associate those two items together and you say oh yeah I I saw the flash, I heard the bang, but, you know, contextually, flash bang happened at the same time. I see. If you split those two two events, so now you've got a flash going off and a bang going off, but they're not causally related to each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's just a random bang and a random flash. If they go off within, let's say, milliseconds of each other, The light will actually reach your eyes, regardless of whether the light flashed first or second. Mm, Right. Because the light, it doesn't matter how. Oh,
5: that's interesting. Yeah.
3: You fire the bang, yeah, and it takes a second to get to you. If you fire the light slightly before the bang, it's definitely going to reach you first. If you fire it, uh, sorry, after the bang, it's definitely going to reach you, no, first it will reach you first. Yes. If you fire it after the bang, because it's going so fast, it basically overtakes the sound Right, right. And arrives first. So you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, bang, that flash happened first.
5: That's interesting.
3: But outside, and plus your own uh, brain actually takes, I think it's half a second to process Mm. any incoming information anyway. So everything that we're experiencing as now isn't now? It's actually happened at least half half a second ago, depending on how thick you are, right. like me. <laughs> um, and then you take into event in, into effect whether it's a sound event or a light event, and the distance is involved. Everything could actually be taking place in different orders than we actually perceive it to be,
2: or simultaneously.
3: Or simultaneously? Ah, uh, sim- yes, exactly. <laughs>
2: that made the hair stand up on my arms. <laughs>
3: it did me, yeah. So <laughs> consciousness, in answer to your question, I think consciousness is what determines. Wow. So, Temporarily when things happen, so con- uh, like Einstein said, the only reason for time is so everything doesn't happen at, at once.
2: I love it. So, so time, so, <laughs> so consciousness. Okay, so time is. Oh, Jesus. Consciousness t- is, the, <laughs> is the temporal order that we overlay o- over the quantum reality that we are. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. That's amazing.
3: And, and, and consciousness, consciousness is the idea of one thing happening after another in a forward-flowing direction. So, so consciousness and time are directly related, whereas source that is aware of everything in one eternal instant, all probabilities, doesn't experience consciousness the way we do. Yes. It will be aware. I've often likened it to a... You know, when you've got a spider in the centre of a web and you've got the radials going out and it's got its little legs on each of those radials, Yep. if anything hits that spider web, it knows immediately. Yes. That's a little bit like source. It's like it's it's continually aware of everything that's happening.
2: It's funny you say that because it's but it's
3: not time based.
2: It's referred to as a web in Hinduism. The universe is referred to as a web. Mm. Um, you know that's that's interesting because that Chalmers thing I brought up about consciousness and causality um, being two very unique things, and it reminds me. This conversation <clears throat> reminds me of something that happens in science a lot, where they take two theories that they that they once believed were separate, like electromagnetism, electricity, and magnetism, and then eventually realized, oh no, this is one thing. We're talking about one thing. It's electromagnetism, and mm. when, when we're talking about time or causality and consciousness, what well, we're really one thing. potentially we're talking about one thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's that's gonna. I am gonna have to think about that for a month,
1: Daniel. <laughs> <sighs>
3: Sorry. I thought I thought I'd leave you on that one anyway. Oh that's Oh, and I've got one. a top I've got a top tip as well for anyone that's struggling with masturbation. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. <laughs> so apparently, um any urge, if you don't act on it, disappears after seven minutes.
2: Mm,
5: seven minutes. That seems right yeah. instinctually to me. You can
3: sit it out for seven minutes, not a problem. <laughs> I All like right? that. It'll go away.
2: <laughs> okay. Well thank you thank you Daniel thank you for spending two oh, two hours great. with us.
3: That's been uh, that's been lovely. I think I've got everything there. So um thank thank you so much for coming on as well. Ah, awesome. absolutely. It's, it's a lot.
4: privilege and a joy. It's a lot of fun.
3: Oh. Absolutely fantastic. I
4: hope we don't I hope oh, we don't oh, get oh. you in any trouble with our uh controversial opinions.
3: Yeah. Oh. No, I don't think I'll have any. Uh, I'll, I'll probably uh, by now. i have probably not got any sense to of following. <laughs> well,
2: anymore. you can feel you can feel free to edit out anything anything that you need to. But, uh...
3: <laughs> well, what I'll do, I'll um, I'll uh, I'll cut out any sort of like ums and ahs and bits where I you know we got lost. Um, I'll make it uh, nice succinct. Um, it'll probably be about two hours, I think, maybe a little bit under. Um, I'm going to add a little bit of music to the background, front nice. and end. And an introduction, and then uh, I'll fire. If I'll fire you over the uh, MP3, yes. um, Obviously, feel free to.
2: I would love
5: to
3: uh, rehash that at your end in whatever format you want.
2: Fantastic, Daniel. This conversation is was so fun. It always is. I I hope we continue (laughs) doing. I hope we're lifelong friends, and we can do this for a long time.
3: So do I. Thank you, Kyle. Yes, sir, Chris.
2: Yeah.
5: Thank oh you, Daniel. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye for
3: now.
2: Right.
0: Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.